Hi, this is Charles Maxwood, and I've been asked more times than I can count, how do I stay current? There's a lot to this question, and I'm working on a solution, code badges. That's right. You heard me right. Basically, the idea is, is that you come and do a code badge, and that gets you an introduction to a topic. Then you can decide if you want to pursue it further. But while working on the badge, you gain enough proficiency to be able to pick it up again if you need. A lot of technology comes through on the bleeding edge, and not all of it sticks, but the principles do. So doing badges on the technologies that will get you ahead will provide you with experience needed to stay competitive. Plus, it offers social proof that you know something about the topic. The project is on Kickstarter right now. You can support it and get on the launch list at codebadge.org. Hey, everybody, and welcome to another episode of My Ruby Story. This week, we're talking to Nathan Contney. Nathan, do you want to say hi? What's up? Now, you are on episode 365 of the Ruby Rogues podcast. It was released at the beginning of June. And uh, yeah, we, we brought you on to kind of get your story and find out who you are. Cool. Thanks for having me back. I like the facial hair. I don't think you had all the facial hair last time we saw each other. I was on vacation for a week and I just did not shave. <laughs> <laughs> and I had to shave for a few weeks before or a few days before that. So yeah, I've, I've got a good 10 day growth here going. <laughs> um, it's probably a no, no on podcast to mention anything visual. Probably. It's all good. Um, <laughs> Let me describe it for everyone. <laughs> yeah. As long as I don't rub my cheek on the yeah. <laughs> podcast or on the microphone or anything. But, uh, even then, this mic is pretty good about getting a lot of that stuff out. Mm. Anyway, do you want to just give a brief introduction, and then we'll jump in and uh, talk about you? Sure. Mm-hmm. Name's Nate. You can find me at places like GitHub. My username is N8. I was lucky enough to get that early on. But yeah, I've, I've been in the Ruby community since like 2005, really early on. I've built an early Rails app called Inkling back in the day with Y Combinator. I was in the second batch of Y Combinator. And then I was in Y Combinator again in like uh, summer of 11 uh, with another Rails Rails company, Rails, something, you know, something we built in Rails. Mm-hmm. I've been, yes, yeah, so I've been, entre- been an entrepreneur since like 2005. Uh, I was running High Rise there for a few years, three and a half years from like 2014 to like real recently, a few months ago. So that's about me, you know, like I, yeah, just been a developer and an entrepreneur for a while and do a lot of writing on YouTube, try to, you know, trying to do a lot of video stuff these days. Nice. Well, uh, let's let's go back a little further and talk about how you got into programming. Yeah, sure. It's a real weird story, probably. I mean, I, you know, part of it's not weird. The, the real beginnings were like, you know, I was in I was a chemical engineer, which was maybe maybe weird start of a, of a computer engineering career. Um, but I was a chemical engineer, and chemical engineers. You know, their background back in the day in like 1996 or whatever, I was learning like Fortran of all things. Because that was, they were, <laughs> they were still like, you know, trying to teach us engine, chemical engineers things like, you know, well, these are the things you're going to need to kind of program, you know, processes at a chemical plant. So I didn't, I didn't really fall in love with programming there. I liked it. I liked doing my machine, you know, classes, my, my computer classes and machine problems and stuff. But my love for programming really started when I had this internship after my junior year in chemical engineering at a uranium processing plant. And, and yeah, like a, a kind of a scary place, like the kind of place where you go through a Geiger counter in and out to make sure you're not carrying uranium with you, you know, purposefully or accidentally. You, wear, you have to have a gas mask or multiple kinds of gas masks with you at all times. 
Oh, um, and, you know, and I think even that summer, there was a, a like an acid leak that burned through someone's shoulder. And it's, it's a real nasty kind of place. Like you're dealing with like hydrofluoric acid, which is the most worst acid you could possibly have around you. And uranium, you know, potentially radioactive stuff. So it was a weird place. It was super hot. It was in, it was in Kentucky in the middle of the summer. And I just, it, it kind of, I didn't love it. Like it was kind of like this finally my first foray into like chemical engineering. And I'm like, you know, I don't know if this life is for me, but something kind of fortunate happened or unfortunate, depending on how you look at it. But I broke my ankle that summer. I was playing basketball during this internship. I broke my ankle. So they had to put a cast on me. And when I showed up at the plant, at the chemical plant, they were like, you can't come in here anymore because if uranium gets in your cast, we're going to have to cut it off. Or like, we, you can't, we can't, you can't get contaminated with uranium and you can't remove that cast. So the, I was like relegated to this like trailer, like a remote trailer where they, you know, they, they wouldn't let me around the plant anymore. And I had to stay in this trailer all day long, but now I can't do chemical engineering things. So the, my boss was just like, we got to find something for you to do. You're here for like another month. I don't want this. You know, we pay you. I got to pay you to do something. So he basically just started bringing me into like problems he had on his computer. He'd be like, I've got this Excel spreadsheet that helps me figure out like, supposed to help me figure out like costs of like running the plant. And it's kind of sucks. I have to do this. Can you help me with it? And immediately I was like, yeah, I can help you. Like I just started learning about macros. We could build some like GUIs to like change the numbers based on data we get in like basically for that whole month, I was just doing things like Excel macros. And I started falling in love with it. It was like so much more fun than spending time in the plant. It was like, I got to, you know, see the immediate consequence of my work. Mm-hmm. You know, like I put code in and out came an interface or out came results. Whereas like in the, in the chemical industry, it was like, I was doing a lot of things where it's just like, I don't know, maybe the chemicals will react this way if, if we're lucky today or you know, I don't, no one really understands this process. We're going to study it to see if we can figure it out, but it's really difficult to understand how hydrofluoric acid reacts to carbon in this, it, it, you know, you might not see the benefit of your work there for like years or decades right. if ever. So it was like a real different kind of feeling of like, it's like that dopamine rush or something where it's just like, Hey boss, you told me to do something. I did it. How do you like it? Oh, I love it. Or do this. And it was just a different feedback loop. And I got really excited about that. So after that summer, it was like, you know what? I've, I've really got to do programming. This is the thing I think I want to do for the rest of my life. And that's, that's kind of how it started. You know, like I think that summer someone showed me GeoCities too. And, I, and it was like, holy crap, I can make a website too. And then from then on, it was like, I want to make web software. I want to make software. I love the web. That, that was the, the, the intro. Yeah, I really identify with that. It's funny because I was a computer engineering major. And so, we, you know, we spent probably half of our time talking about hardware and the other half talking about software. Mm. And yeah, it was the same kind of thing as far as the hardware went. It was, this will manifest when we print the chip and hopefully we got a good batch. And yeah. the, the rest of it was, you know, I'd go fiddle with whatever programming projects I had, but it was just like, okay, so I, I get my TA to come over and the TA doesn't understand what I did either, but it works. And so I, I was just, I, you know, I had a friend change his major to computer science. I'm like, you are nuts. And then, yeah, I, I picked up a project for the IT company or the IT group I was working for at the university and started managing their updates with bash scripts. And it was like, 
oh, this is cool. I can do yeah. cool stuff. I don't have to go babysit all these servers anymore. Yeah, it was yeah. that kind of, yeah. It was like, wow, this really does stuff. And then after I graduated, you know, we we were, I was working uh, basically tech support for a startup, you know, just handling things for their customers because I had to be able to troubleshoot deep, dark reaches of windows over the phone. Mm. I'd been in IT long enough to be able to do that. And mm. yeah, they said, we're, we're not going to buy you any issue tracking software. So we built it. And again, it was like, oh, wow, I just saved myself six hours yeah. by doing two hours of programming. Yeah. So yeah, I, I, I totally hear you on that. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was a really, it was an awesome feeling. And I guess I just had the experience that it was like, you know, of the opposite, right? I guess I'm, I'm fortunate to have given kind of a different career shown to me a little bit, mm -hmm. but I was able to kind of like be able to make that choice. And so, yeah, I mean, I guess we're fortunate. We, we got exposed to both, both those kinds of things. Yeah. So how did you find Ruby? Well, so like I went down this path. So now I, I've got this love of programming, but when I graduated college, I was still a chemical engineer. I didn't switch majors or anything. And I actually, I got a job at Accenture, but they, they wouldn't let me program because like I still didn't have enough experience. They put me, I was basically a glorified secretary over at Accenture. It was back Anderson Consulting back in the day. And it sucked. And so I basically just taught myself programming every night I could. Like I'd stay after work. You know, back then it was like Wi-Fi, you know, internet still sucked at home. And like, so I wanted to teach myself Java. So like I stayed at work just downloading. It was like nine CDs or something like that back in the day. Um, <laughs> just burning all these CDs and like I taking... remember that. <laughs> yeah, it was nuts. Or like, you know, if you wanted to do Visual Basic anything, there was like these books, right? The uh -huh. MSDN library on a book. It was like all these DVDs and CDs and every... You want, it was difficult, but I was like, you know what? I'm, I'm going to teach myself. So like I basically just taught myself Java. Mm -hmm. I, um, I got, I got, I, I was able to get promoted into some programming stuff over at Accenture. And I, I basically became a Java developer. But after like five years of that, I was like, I, I, um, I, I started doing some freelance moonlighting kind of stuff on the side while I was working at Accenture. And I was working for a friend of mine who wanted an app built. And we built some kind of like eBay-like thing using a Java framework. I forgot what it was even called back then. It wasn't the popular like What's the big popular one that's like Spring? Is that the Spring or Hibernate? Yeah, yeah. It was another, it was one that started off, it was like really hot in like the Java magazines. And it was like, it was very much kind of similar to maybe what Rails is today. It was like a, there was like a mm -hmm. kind of a, a precursor to all that thought about like, well, let's just do everything and like, you know, like add a lot of like, you know, convention and, you know, it'll just be easy and they'll spit out an API too. Like you don't have to worry. And so it was like, this is neat, but then it like support for it died off right away. And so right. when I was, I wanted to, I know I wanted to make, run my own business and start my own startup. So we applied to Y Combinator and like the, it was like the winter of, we were the first, second class of Y Combinator. So it was like the winter of 2006. And I had heard about, I had seen Basecamp. I had heard of Ruby on Rails was starting to be a thing. I think mm -hmm. when I was starting to kind of, it was like version 0.12, I think, when I finally, when I started playing with it. And it was like, you know what? This is great. This project seems like it's got more support and longevity than the Java project that I just kind of like saw disappear before my eyes to maintain mm -hmm. like a framework. So like I was already kind of burnt out on frameworks. And so I was like really cautious, but I saw like Rails was like hot. And then I just, I loved Ruby and I loved its syntax and I loved its, its conciseness. And I loved its like, it was just, 
it was more fun than fooling around with Java for five years. And so like that combination of things about like, I love the language. I love the aesthetics of the language. I love what Rails looks like it's about to become and how hot it even seems now versus what the Java frameworks were, were at the time. And it just, it wrote me in and it was like, it was also like a, a selling point. Like we could say like, hey, we just, we built our new Y Combinator startup on Ruby on Rails. And that was like newsworthy at the time. So like a, that combination of things sucked me into the Ruby world. And I've never looked back. I mean, I love it. Like I, it's going to, I, you know, I've, I've flirted with, with, you know, moving on to things like, you know, coding node apps and other languages. And like, I just keep coming back to Ruby. It, it, it keeps, it keeps my heart. And I, I keep finding ways where I don't need those other things because I'll, I find a way to optimize what I need in, in the Ruby land just fine. Yeah. I, I, I feel the same way. You know, I had, I had done, I had a coworker that got me into PHP. It was basically lamp stack. And yeah, it was, you know, I, I'd hammer on stuff for a long time. And then, yeah, Rails just, it was the same kinds of things. All of the things that you're talking about there was like, oh, it makes this a whole lot easier. And I can keep track of all these things a whole lot easier. And it's it extends so much easier. And yeah. yeah. So I want to ask you a whole bunch of questions about being an entrepreneur. And sure. I'll probably save those until the end. But that, that way I can get through what, what people kind of expect from this interview. And then... Totally. Happy uh, to come back too. Do a, do a different one. <laughs> yeah, we should. So anyway, so you get into Ruby, you get into Rails, you're working on this Y Combinator stuff. You've, you've done quite a few different things. You kind of mentioned some of the startups you've done in Rails. What, what are the things that you're particularly proud of and or interested in with Rails? And related to that, I'm also curious, how, how, how do you feel like building something in Rails for a startup that you're starting is different from what most Rails developers do? Mm. Some of the most proudest Rails moments were like, I mean... Creating that first YC startup with uh, with Rails was 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 pretty significant. I mean, even though Rails was hot at the time, it was it was fun for developers because you could get something you know built somewhat quickly. Yeah. It was a major pain in the ass. I mean, it was like I remember those days of like I forgot where we were even hosting from. Like at first, I was like you know different kind of shared servers. We were finally in who was the company who spawns spun off Node.js. What was that, that company's name? They were like a server hosting company. They still are, I think. Oh, yeah. But they, they were one of the early kind of Rails hosts. I mean, they're much better today or, or they got much better. I forgot what, what they were called back in the day. But like, it was insane how, you know, my partner would wake me up at three in the morning and be like, Nate, the site's down again. And it's like just this constant babysitting. So <laughs> yeah. I was almost just proud of like being able to accomplish it. Because like, yeah, Rails was a beast back in the day. Like nobody know, knew how to host it in production. And there's a lot of hoops you had to go through. The, the app servers were changing. It seemed like on a, on a weekly basis, like, oh, we're going to host it with Apache today. Oh no, we're hosting with Nginx today. Oh no, now there's this new Apache module that does a better job. Oh no, now there's Mongo. I mean, it was nuts. But it was also kind of ripe with like a lot of learning experiences. So I was really proud of, of, of doing Inkling. I've had some interesting open source contributions along the way too. Like Back in 2009, I found this like nasty security problem in Rails that like, I don't know if some people might remember this. I was the, I was the cause of quite a little stir in the Rails universe in 2009 when I found out that there, some, the, the HTTP basic auth in Rails what, didn't work at all. You could get by it just by putting nil for a password. And so, like, if you were using basic auth to protect your stuff back then, like, there was no protection. 
And I discovered this and like, I had some trouble like getting the Rails security lists pay any attention or like they, and it, you know, like I think they were just, they didn't have a good process in place, but I thought they were ignoring this problem. So like I waited a week and multiple emails later, I was like, you know what, fuck it. I'm going to just, tell, I got to tell everybody, like no one's doing anything about this. So like, you know, I, I, I put on Hacker News and it became like a big storm about a security problem and the way I handled it. And I was still very proud of, of, of finding that bug and fixing it for people. And so that was my one of my more infamous Ruby on Rails kind of uh, contributions. But then there's a couple of open source things. Like I, I'm kind of proud of like, um, I really like performance work. So a few years ago, I worked on like the using memcache multi-get to do better partial fetching from the Rails cache. You know, like, you know, in the old days, when you would fetch a bunch of ca- cache partials, you know, it just sequentially pulls them from, say, memcache. But then I, you know, created a way to pull them like at all, you know, in a batch using like multi-get. So I made a plugin for that and then got added to Rails core over the last few years. So that, yeah, those are some of my, and then Highrise was like a, a really great Rails project I got to work on that. Obviously a lot of people know what Highrise is because it's, it's part of that Basecamp Ruby on Rails brand. So those are some of the big ones. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, yeah, like you said, you know, I think Highrise is the one that most people are aware of just because most people are aware of or have tried Basecamp. Yeah. yeah. No, I use Highrise for a little while off and on, and I, I still haven't found a CRM that I like. It's tough. I mean, I yeah, Highrise has got a lot going for it. Yeah, there's there's still a lot of stuff I wanted to add there. But yeah, it's it's tough. Yeah, finding a good CRM is, is very tough. Well, and it seems like everybody wants something a little bit different from everybody yes. else. So. A lot of people, everybody's got different flows for this stuff. Yep. So anyway, um, that said, so yeah, so you've done, you've done all these different things. I'm curious, you know, since you've done a couple of startups, I've actually been working on a SaaS project myself. So I'll probably ask some questions just related to that, just get some general advice. Sure. Uh, One thing that I want to dive into first, though, is your first startup was through Y Combinator. Mm -hmm. And it seems like a lot of people are out there starting their own thing on their own, I guess, for lack Mm -hmm. of a better way of putting it. Yeah. So do you have advice for people as far as going through mm. an incubator? I was trying to think of the term. Sure. An incubator versus, you know, going it alone versus yep. raising capital. Yeah, like I, I'm a little more like I don't I don't think any of this stuff I, I take a pretty middle middle approach here. I think people kind of vilify each side, right? I mean mm-hmm. the, the the bootstrappers are like VCs are evil and VCs are like you know, condescending with their, you know, you're just running a lifestyle business kind of bullshit. I mean, both of those arguments, I think are very, none of it makes any sense. I mean, I, I think right. you, you, you do what makes sense for your business and, and your lifestyle, and your, your, what you want out of work. So I take a very, you know, like whatever works for you kind of approach. Like I, when I did YC, it was very different than it is today. When I did Y Combinator back in 2005, six, when it was, it was the first 2006 batch, there's only 10 startups. You know, like, so it was very, like, a lot of hands-on, you know, I'd go to Paul Graham's house for tea and hang out at his house for an hour or two talking about startups to, like, you know, get his help. Today, they have office hours that last, like, I don't know, 10 minutes or something like that. It's a very different experience. And and now they do, like, you know, 100 startups. So, and it's also a very different uh, focus. I mean, back then, I felt it was, like, very focused on, like, hey, you know, good people with maybe a tinge of like an interesting idea. Today, it's like, 
hey, you got traction? Are you going to be a billion dollar company? So it's tough to like pick on, you know, like I've, I've got a very different kind of experience with what incubators could be, right? I mean, uh-huh. I think YC was very good for me back in the day and they gave me like some really great introductions that became customers and everything else. And they, you know, they, they didn't, back in the day, didn't have many expectations of like us becoming a billion dollar company. So after Y Combinator back in 2016, we bootstrapped it the rest of the way. Inkling never raised another dollar and it's still around today. My partner, uh, he kind of acquired it into his other business and it still runs today. You know, on the flip side, I, I do see businesses that like do need a lot of capital and like, there's nothing wrong with raising VC money, but I do recognize though that like, I would, I would probably hold out as long as possible, right? I mean, I think most businesses can be started, especially today. I mean, when I started Inkling, all YC gave us was like $16,000. So like, I mean, it, that's nothing, right? We spent right. it on rent in the Valley. I think most people doing any kind of job or freelance in computer in the computer industry can kind of scratch together 16000 after a little bit of saving. You know, most, m- many of us can't. So right. I would be very careful giving up your equity. You know, equity is everything. That ownership is everything. Like as soon as... You don't have it, like so many bad things can happen to you. you. You lose all that control, which is kind of, I think, where we're in it, most of us as developers, right? Mm-hmm. I got just done saying, like, I got into programming because I wanted more like control over the, the box and, and my world. And so once you start seeding that to like other people and boards of directors, like yeah. it isn't for most of us as programmers, I don't think we want that. So I I would I think I lean more where you're saying I would I would be very careful raising money. Do it as like a last effort, you know, like, mm-hmm. you know, try to figure out how to keep all the ownership you can, you know, try to see how far you can go the bootstrapping way. If you finally, you know, bump up against that wall where you're just like, you know what, like we really are tackling a problem in the medical industry where we need a year to, you know, really do R and D and there's no way we can do that bootstrap. Like, fine. Yeah. Raise some money, like by all means. But most of us who are working on SaaS apps, like, no, I don't, we don't have to, it shouldn't. You're giving up too yeah. much control and inviting way too many bosses. You don't need you don't need the noise. Like your bosses should just be your customers, and you, that's enough for you to worry about. Yeah, that makes sense. So uh, one other thing that so I've been working, like I said, on my own SaaS, and uh, anyway, one of the problems that I'm having is now I have two jobs, right? Yeah, uh, you know, because I'm I'm uh, I'm building this SaaS product, which it. I mean, it's something we use at devchat.tv to manage the podcast. So it's not like I'm, you know, I'm anyway, I'm not doing anything in, well, it is kind of insane, but in a different way, I guess. So I guess my issue is, is yeah, you know, how do you find the balance there between, you know, let's say your full-time job and then now your other full-time job building this uh, SaaS or whatever. Yeah, it is tough. And I actually have a similar situation now. So like I, I recently... I became a CTO of a company called Rockstar Coders. And it's like a, it's a software agency. We make software for clients and, and help them build their software teams and stuff. But I too now, it's, it's, I only do that like three days a week. The other two days a week, I'm myself and building another SaaS mm-hmm. startup. So I'm trying to balance this too. And it's tough because the, the job at Rockstar totally encroaches on these other days that I'm trying to keep, keep cordoned off. You know, clients right. want meetings, you know, fires happen, things need, need to happen. So it is tough. I don't know if I've got any like magic secrets about the balance, except for like, you know, like getting like, you know, doing, doing some of the obvious things like shutting slack off, like really, really like letting people know that you're like out of the office. 
Something that isn't working right now is like, I was thinking I could do like Monday through Wednesday, Rockstar, Thursday, Friday, startup. That's mm-hmm. proving to be a little bit more difficult than I imagined. I, I was thinking keeping the days bunched like that would be good for focus. I could just stay focused on Rockstar and I could yeah. just stay focused on my startup. But it's, it's taking those two days away from the business, from Rockstar is like, causing maybe too many headaches than it's worth. Like mm-hmm. the clients keep, you know, I can't turn away a client that we're trying to sell work to, right? That's just gonna hurt. So it's like, I've got it. I, that, that batch thing, I don't think is, is working for me. So I think right now I'm going to have to probably figure out how to like, kind of, you know, a little bit on, a little bit off, a little bit on, a little bit off. So I think what's going to work best for me now is like, I don't know, maybe Monday and Tuesday and Rockstar, Wednesday, I take a half day, you know, try to balance, you know, that day's a, a, a rock star and startup. Thursday, you know, all startup. Friday, half and half again. So I think it's, I, I got it. You just, it's like you're saying, it's just balance. And it probably can't be lopsided one way or another. It's tough though. I mean, it, everybody's got a different situation. You know, like when I was, you know, just living with my, my girlfriend and then wife, I mean, not having a kid, it was easy to like get a ton of stuff done at night. You know, now we have a kid. Oh, yeah. so- it's, it's tough to find that balance then at night and weekend. So like, I definitely do not let any of this time like encroach on my mm-hmm. kids' time because like, that's the stuff I'm going to regret, right? Like, yeah. So I don't know if I've got any magic secrets, except yeah, I just keep trying to find the balance. I try to like create nice walls so that they don't interfere. If they do, I try to fix it instead of just kind of lingering on the interference. Like, no, I, I talk to the people at work and it's like, guys... We had a deal where I'm only supposed to be here three days. You know, let me, I got to figure out how to not let you bother me. So help me, help me do that. So that kind of thing. What else? I don't know. I don't know if if, if I've got any other great ideas for balance. Yeah. I mean, for me, it it sounds like though that you have two separate, like they're completely separate. Yeah. And for me, they're, they're tied in. I mean, anything that I improve on what I'm building directly impacts how much time people spend, you know, on, on the rest of work. So, um, you know, I, I, I find the balance equation a little bit different from yours as well. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, yeah, I don't really have any secrets except like, I, I remember like, it's, it's also good to have like partners who, you know, like I, I remember like, you know, inkling inkling was a, um, we, we actually, our second Y Combinator startup startup was kind of like a an offshoot of inkling. So at, the, at one point I was spending like time on one startup and time on another startup. And my partner was the same on both and we had a developer that was the same on both. And that was maybe a little harder, but again, like that was an interesting situation where like my partner and I could just kind of agree to like better delegation. Like you worry about the inkling stuff. I'll right. worry about this, the, the new startup stuff. But that's just because I had a, someone, a partner who I could trust and we complimented each other and we, we could see how we could balance together. So I don't know. I don't know if I've got any magical advice about, about this type of situation, although it's, I know it's hard, yeah, but it's doable. It seems doable. Yeah, absolutely. Is there a certain point though, that you start looking for help with development or marketing or whatever? Yeah, I, I, that's tough for me too, right? Like at Inkling, at, at, at high rise, I had a lot of development help and now it's like, I'm back to not having it. Right. Like, I, I mean, I've got right. rockstar, we've got hundreds of developers and now this startup is just me, you know, it's back mm-hmm. to me again. Maybe. I mean, I'm, I'm finding there are, 
these days there, there's some there's a lot of people who've had some time to get really good at things like Ruby and Rails. And 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 some of them, you know, they're they're not in the United States and they're more affordable than a lot of developers in the United States. So there, there's, you know, like a buddy of mine, uh, a Python guy was worried about this. You know, he was one one man shop, has has getting a, a startup that's becoming kind of successful and starting, and he was really starting to sweat like, where do I find somebody? Like everybody's so expensive. Like I'm I, it's too much for me and I can't afford, you know, help. But again, I think he, he was thinking too much with like the US mindset. He found somebody in right. Europe, I think, who's kicking ass and it's just cheaper. I mean, the cost of living is cheaper. I, you know, whatever. I don't know the, you know, the person's makeup, but like, yeah, if you're looking for only people in Chicago or in San Francisco or New York or whatever, and you're, you're keeping yourself too localized, it's tough. And so once you kind of open your mind up to like some people, maybe pretty far out remote from you, there's some really good talented folks out there. And that might be a, a pretty affordable solution for a lot of people. Yeah, I had a developer work for me for a while uh, out of Argentina. And not on this project, on a previous project. But yeah, he was considerably cheaper than somebody in the US. Yeah. And it, and like an Argentine time zones, well, is that one pretty good? Maybe pretty good. Yeah. You know, it's he tough was, when you're like nine hours apart, but when you're only like a couple hours apart, that's pretty good. I think he was, I'm in Utah. And I think he was three hours difference. I think he was an hour ahead of Eastern time. So that wasn't bad at all. So we just scheduled, you know, he knew when I was around. So he would just schedule meetings when, you know, if we needed one, when I was working. Yeah. But I do, I have a tough time giving it up too. Cause it's like, I, I think I'm really good at like getting the, the MVP done. You know, I think a lot of people are trained, especially, you know, who are freelancing. I mean, they're, they make their bread and butter from like being really good developers doing everything the right way and, you know, and, and, and really kind of following best practices. And I often throw out best practices to get an MVP done, you know, cause like I know as a startup, the thing that we build today might be something we throw out in a couple of weeks to do something else. And so yeah. it's hard for me to, 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 to hire someone for startup work, especially in the first few months before it's got some traction. Cause it's like, you know, there's, there's just too much that I need to get done really quickly that could get thrown out that we need to do things, maybe not, you know, the way everybody likes to do them in the, in the rails and, and developer world. But then, you know, when things start to solidify a bit is, is a better time. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. We really should just do this as another episode, how to do a startup on your own. Totally. But yeah, it, uh, I know too, that some people just look at it as this risky proposition. You know, I'm going to put all this time in, it's not going to pay off. I mean, how much of a reality is that? It seems like the costs and availability of a lot of this stuff is getting better. And so the risk is going down, but it also feels like there's still considerable risk. Yeah. I mean, I, when I look back at my career, I mean, it's, a, it's kind of full of like stops and starts and, and highs and lows. I mean, Inkling never grew to like where I really wanted it to grow. The second startup with Y Combinator, like we, we ended up, kind of shutting that down the product itself because like we couldn't get that time we did want to get investment dollars because like we were looking at really long sales cycles and we needed money to like keep going we didn't want to like you know by that time like we were a little older and we didn't want to bootstrap it for just ramen profitability but when i really like so in the moment these things feel like failures or like oh there was a lot of risk but when i really look back at my career like everything was just a stepping stone i mean you know, the, the thing we shut down, it ended up becoming, you know, source for 
good ideas and writing and, and mm-hmm. things to talk to people on podcasts about. And I ended up um, having some money left over from that project, which turned into the writing software draft. And like, you know, like I just, I feel like in the short term, a lot of these things can like feel risky or failures, but like, man, in the long term, I feel like there's ways to really squeeze the value, even out of the failed projects, even out of the right. stuff that doesn't work out. So I don't know. I look at this stuff and I don't see as much risk anymore. Like I'm working on something now that's like in the, in the video world. And it's like, I, I'm having trouble finding some customers. It could be risky that I don't, I, 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 I might just, there might not be a market here for what I'm making, but I'm also like learning a ton about the new, you know, rails 5.2 and I'm coming up with little projects that might, you know, I might open source for, you know, new, new plugins for the Rails community. Mm-hmm. It'll be great blog posts and things to tell people about. And I don't know. I, I, I don't, I see little, everything to me is always like a stepping stone now. And maybe that's just like, yeah, I've gotten like, I've seen a lot of failures and they don't feel quite as failure to me anymore after years have passed. Right. All right. Well, I'm going to take this back to the rest of our uh, normal interviews. Sure. And yeah. We should totally do a, just do an extra episode. So what are you working on now? So I'm doing the Rockstar thing. Um, they, you know, some the two things, Rockstar and the startup. Rockstar, it's like, you know, pretty traditional CTO role. I mean, they've got, um, you know, just some tech leadership stuff, interviewing developers, you know, bringing people in, you know, overseeing projects, you know, looking over proposals and architectures. A lot of marketing, though. There's like a, like, we're really trying to focus on, on giving kind of Rockstar a, they've done good on their own with a lot of relationships they've had and, and they, they've got a really good solid core team of developers. And so people love the product, just not enough people know about it. So I've been spending a lot of like, I've only been here for a few weeks, but a lot of my time is a little bit, maybe a little bit more like a CMO role where mm-hmm. I'm talking about code and building teams and stuff like that. So it's, it's kind of like a, a CTO marketing person in the, in the, uh, the couple of days a week that I have free for startup stuff I'm building something called film hope. It's, uh, you know, like I see how much video just keeps taking off for people. I mean, we've mm-hmm. got everything from like YouTube seems to be in, in like a new inflection point. Three out of four teenagers. It's like in the old days, we all wanted to like play basketball, right? Or be in sports. Now three and four teenagers or kids, they all want to be YouTubers. So it's like, <laughs> it's crazy. And it's like, I mean, that's going to keep going. So the video right. content, I just see it just keeps blowing up. So it's like, I want to be part of that. Um, right. you know, a little head of thinking about like, how can I make software for video? So I started with just helping people optimize YouTube videos, uh, especially like their titles and their thumbnails. There's a little MVP out there. People mm-hmm. can fool with at filmhome.com. That's what I'm fooling with now. I'm like fooling around with like a little bit of like machine learning to help people recommend images for their videos and titles for their videos all a rails project, but it's kind of keeping me it's rails and I can work with it fast, but I'm also touching on like machine learning, which is kind of a neat novel place for me. So that's, that's kind of a neat novelty and challenge. That's kind of keeping mm-hmm. things fresh. Makes sense. That's really cool. I'll have to check it out. Cause I'm starting to get into YouTube myself. Oh yeah. Do you, I, 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 do you have a channel? Did, do you guys start a channel or did any of these? Yeah, we've had a channel for a while and it's mostly just been, the audio converted to video with uh, album art. And I haven't updated it in a while, but it's still, you know, it's something that I want to do more of. I've actually got a couple of shows in the works that are essentially, you know, just five minute rants basically on Ruby or JavaScript or. Cool. And, and so I've got the album art done for that and all that stuff. I just need to actually start recording them. Cool. So 
those will probably actually start getting recorded this week and then we'll see where things go from there. But. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, I like it. it. It does seem to, it's a little harder to get traction there than like I've, I've experienced in the writing world and stuff. And I don't know why, you know, like maybe it's cause like video is like, um, I don't know, maybe that the audience there is trained for like, you know, faster switching and like, there's just something about it. It doesn't quite travel. Yeah. It's not as sticky as maybe like the written word or a medium post or something like that. It's different. There's a different makeup to it. So it's a different challenge, but I like it. Yeah. I, I mean, I could, I could supply some theories, but I don't actually know. So, I mean, one of the things that I see is that, you know, with YouTube, you actually have to watch it and, you know, medium, you can kind of come back to it or, sure. you know, uh, podcasts are gaining traction because you can just put your headphones in and go wherever. Yep. Um, and so, you know, we, we tend to get traction from that. So anyway, it's, it's, it's interesting, but yeah. And so that's why I think like, um, as soon as we get driverless cars, I think video is going to like take off like bananas. Oh yeah. It's like people are going to now be able to sit there. Just like you're saying, like commuting today is, can only be an auditory experience. Cause like you need your eyes to like either yeah. get on a train or drive a car. But as soon as like people are driving us around, it's like, oh man, video is going to take off. Yeah, absolutely. Well, and you know, it's, oh, I'm going to work and now I can watch a tutorial instead of listen to somebody talk about the thing. Exactly. Exactly. So, yeah. All right. Well, the last segment of the show is picks. Do you have some things you want to shout out about? Is your job search stuck? Maybe you're not getting any interviews with employers or maybe you are, but no job offers, or you may be new and not even know where to start. This is Charles Maxwood and I'm releasing a new course and ebook on how to find a job as a software developer. The course walks you through the process of finding the types of companies you want to work for, getting their attention, and putting your best foot forward as the candidate they want. I've coached dozens of developers in looking for jobs and have been able to help several people find jobs within two weeks to two months. So whether you're new to development, can't find a great job that fits what you want, or are looking for remote work from an area without a strong tech community, I can help. Go to getacoderjob.com and sign up today. Yeah, yeah I'm going to wrote them down. Oh, one thing that was kind of cool... It, has nothing to do with software development, but I'm, I, I'm a big fan of writing too. I think writing is, is almost as important as like our, our tech careers. You got to communicate this stuff. So like I've been, you know, I spend a great deal of time also, um, you know, also writing and trying to get better. Malcolm Gladwell has a class now, which just came out like a month ago on Masterclass. Masterclass mm -hmm. is like all those celebrity directors and artists like doing their own class. So Malcolm Gladwell's on there. So it's kind of a neat, you know, if you want to, it's kind of a neat, uh, he's never done a class before, taught his like writing process. So that's kind of cool. That the sounds really amazing. Yeah. It's, it's, it's still kind of funny. Cause it's like the one, the one I'll, I'll just to be completely neutral on this thing. It's like masterclass is cool, but it's like, it's still just television. You're just watching a video, mm -hmm. you know? So it's like, you don't really get to practice. Right. Like, right. But it's still cool. It's still cool to kind of see Malcolm talk about his writing process. And, and you do get stuff from it. So, And uh, my second pick would maybe be, there's a book that I read a few months ago. It's a little old now. Uh, Living with a Seal. It's uh, Sarah Blakely, the CEO of Spanx. Her husband, I forget his name, Jesse something. He, um, he like, they're like the, you know, the owners of the Atlanta basketball team. Mm -hmm. Um he decided to invite a Navy SEAL into his home for a month 
and basically helped train him to become like a better runner. And, and it's, it's a, Jesse's a hilarious writer. The SEAL, the guy named David Goggins, he's hilarious. Highly recommend the book. It's a really fast read. Uh, it's entertaining as hell. And it's, it's really inspiring. Like just seeing this guy who's, you know, an entrepreneur and involved in a lot of business, taking all this time out of his day to like train and run and live with the SEAL who's like ultra intense about life. And Sarah Blakely, she only shows up a little bit in, but I don't know, she's an inspiration of mine. Like Sarah Blakely is like, I don't know if you know Sarah, like her story of starting Spanx, like it's amazing. If you're an entrepreneur and you need some inspiration, go read about Sarah Blakely. Like she mm. kicks so much ass. But I, I, I don't think she's got a book out, so I have to just kind of read her husband's writing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it looks like it's Jesse Itzler. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it's a great read. I, I recommend that to like everybody. It's going to hit notes for most people. Nice. I'm going to have to put it on my Audible uh, wish list because it, it sounds fun. He's got a new one out now called Living with Monks, which is pretty good, but it's, it's, not, it's not as good as the original. It's not as good as Living with the Seal. Uh-huh. Cool. Well, oh, I blew all my picks on the last interview. I did. Oh, no. <laughs> anyway, one, I, I guess I can throw out a few things. So last week I took the week off and, you know, took a trip with my fa- family and just uh, we went down to southern Utah. We were just outside Zion National Park. We didn't actually go into Zion National Park, which is kind of funny. Um, <laughs> we just spent a ton of time with family because uh, my wife's brothers and sisters and parents and stepdad all came down. Cool. So anyway, we just played a bunch of uh, board games and stuff. So I'm going to pick some of the games we played and mm. and, and some of that stuff. Uh, we found the place we stayed on Airbnb, and it turned out to be really, really nice. So I've had some issues in the past with Airbnb. This mm. one worked out pretty nicely. So, you know, definitely check out Airbnb as an option. And then so some of the games we played, one of them is called Bubble Talk. Mm. And uh, if you've ever played Apples to Apples, mm-hmm. Uh, it's kind of like that, except you get a picture, and then the the and the picture is your sort of your green card. So you know it's the uh, the thing that everybody's trying to target, and then everybody gets playing cards with captions on them. Okay. And so then everybody puts a caption in, and then whoever's turn it is gets to pick the caption they think is the best one. And Got usually it. it's the one that's like the most off the wall funny. Right. Right. So uh, that w- that one was fun and hilarious awesome um you know apples to apples is kind of fun kind of interesting but you know and sometimes it's well that's true and that's kind of all you get but we were cracking up cool that one. and it's it's a good party game another one we played is shadow hunters mm. and this is sort of the, the way i describe it is it's it's werewolf except it doesn't suck and you play mm. with cards okay. so uh, the issue i have with werewolf is that it's basically Werewolves wake up, kill somebody. Now villagers wake up and kill somebody and hope you get the werewolves. Yeah. And and that that's my issue, right? Is that, you know, people get, oh, well, kill them because they're whatever. And, you know, and that's pretty much it. You know, you, you don't have enough social interaction to really figure out who anybody is. And so it's basically yeah. a guessing game where you get frustrated. Yeah. This game, you have character cards that are handed out and so the shadows are trying to kill the hunters, the hunters are trying to kill the shadows. And, and then you have neutral players who have wind conditions that are, you know, different things. So cool. get these three items of equipment or, you know, be the last person alive or, you know, sure. all kinds of stuff, right? The player to your left wins, one of them. But anyway, so the cards are all face down. You don't know who they are. And then you have 
hermit cards, which show you how to, or give you clues as to who people are. Yeah. So if somebody hear hermit card and it says, I bet you're a shadow. And if you are, you know, take a point of damage. Yeah. And so, uh, anyway, so you have those clues going on and then you can draw equipment cards or cards that do damage to other players. You can attack players within the area you're in. <laughs> and so anyway, it's kind of a fun level of interaction, you know? So sometimes what will happen is somebody will figure out who one of the other players is and then, you know, they'll start attacking them, but you don't know which one to attack because you don't know who's on your team yet. Right, right. I know. So, I love these games. This sounds right up my alley. Yeah. And so it's it's kind of a mix of a social interaction game and and other things. Um, another yeah. one that was there that we didn't have a chance to play, and I'm trying to remember the title of it. I think it was The Resistance. Yes, that's the one I've played that sounds similar-ish. And, and that one's interesting, too. I read the rules because we were going to play it, and then we didn't. And I'm, I'm the read the rules and tell everybody what to do guy in my family. So, uh, but that one looked fun too. And that, that yeah, one basically is, uh, you, you have a number of spies and a number of resistance fighters and the spies are trying to sabotage the missions. And so yeah, you pick your mission team and then, you know, you go out and the spies can sabotage, but they don't necessarily want to be outed if they can do more damage, not being outed. So yeah, so that and that one seems much more social because it's not, oh, you got a clue and now you're killing them. It really is watching the other players and seeing what they're doing and figuring out that social aspect of it. Yeah. So if the mission got sabotaged, you know somebody on it was a spy. Right. But then you have to watch them and try and figure out who it is. Yeah. It's so. funny how these games are social and yet they're like also make you suspect your friends and lie to each other. And it's, yeah. it's this, it's hilarious interaction, but I agree. It's a wonderful ice breaking thing amongst when some strangers are there too, for some yeah. reason. Yeah, it's terrific. The other thing is, is that for me, it's, I mean, we, we play some of these adversarial games, right. And I have a, a group of guys that I play games with every month. And ultimately, you know, we beat the crap out of each other in the games and we make fun of each other while we're sitting there together and we walk away better friends. Yeah, exactly. And that's that's the thing. And that it's just a ton of fun. So yeah. Anyway, I could talk for hours about board games, but another podcast. Yeah, another episode. <laughs> we should we should totally just do one that's like the the not coding code show or something. I don't know. Anyway, um, if people want to find you online, uh, where do they find like your blog posts, Twitter tweets, uh, all that stuff? Yeah, I'm I'm uh, I'm Nate Cotney on Twitter. That's, you know, I put everything on Twitter, so you can find most of my stuff there. I'm uh, I'm Nate Cotney, also on Medium. So, yeah, lots of writing there. And I'm on YouTube as Nathan Cotney. I go by Nate or Nathan, depending on uh, who, who you are in my life. People call me different things. So, yeah, just Nathan Cotney on YouTube. So, yeah, that, that covers it. I usually kind of open up my whole life on, on one of those three channels. Awesome. Well, uh, I don't have any other questions for you. We should definitely get an entrepreneurial show set up. But yeah, let's go ahead and wrap this one up. And uh, thanks for coming, Nate. Cool, man. Thanks for having me. Yeah, anytime. Yeah, no problem. We'll, we'll talk to everybody next week. Bandwidth for this segment is provided by Cashfly, the world's fastest CDN. Deliver your content fast with Cashfly. Visit C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y.com to learn more.